I don't wanna sound full of myself here, but today's guest, she's pretty darn awesome and is a huge fan of When Autumn Comes. Like to the point where I commented on one of her posts one time on Facebook and she told me that it was basically like Drew Barrymore was telling her to star in a rom-com. I am incredibly flattered that someone would compare me to Drew Barrymore. I, let's just be real. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. But y'all, today's guest is wonderful. I want to be best friends with her. Just like I say for like all of these episodes. I want to be best friends with her because she is absolutely an inspiration and a light in our community of medical motherhood. I don't know if you can remember back to that that random month of March 2020 when all of our lives flipped upside down. Olivia was being admitted to the hospital to have her son. So not only did her world completely shift because she had her second child and he had medical complications, but there was also a pandemic. A pandemic that wasn't happening when she went into the hospital, but was absolutely happening when they were discharged from the hospital. Pair all of that with pivoting because of life and work and jobs and moving and everything else. Olivia is very open in this episode, very open, very raw. She spells it all out for us and I'm here for it. I think that in order for all of us to heal and grow and learn and laugh and cry together, we have to be open about how we're feeling because we never know what that mom in the vitamin aisle is going through. Hi, I'm Susan, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, sometimes life just looks a little different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and the people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into her eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the caregivers who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together, because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path, but we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it can feel like four seasons in one day. We are here to help you share your story, let you laugh, let you cry, let you learn, and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. What Autumn Comes podcast is a program of the Apricity Hope Project, a nonprofit organization created to empower, encourage, and restore caregivers of medically complex and special needs children. You can learn more about our project at apricityhope.org. We have Olivia here today. She is a, um, I'm going to embarrass you for a second. She is a When Autumn Comes super fan, and I am, she's schooling me in my episodes right now, so I'm loving this. Uh, welcome to When Autumn Comes. Thank you. Obviously, as a super fan, I am so stoked to be here. Beyond stoked. <laughs> I'm great. Well, and you are you are an overachiever, too, because you are sitting in a Ronald McDonald house. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Yes. My my two-year-old is currently getting a 72-hour EEG. We're on day two. And um, so trying to figure out what's going on with the seizures to see if he might need brain surgery or not. So my husband, we've, we've learned you know, that we, neither one of us needs to sleep. So he Mm -hmm. slept, you know, I slept with our son last night and then he slept here. And then during the day I come and sleep here and now I'm talking Mm -hmm. to you. So it works out. Yeah. And when you say sleep in the hospital, you mean like 
quote unquote sleep because nobody down. actually you lay down. <laughs> I lay yes. down with my eyes open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Uh well, tell us before we dive in. I mean, we've already kind of jumped into the fact that you're at the Ronald McDonald yes. house and you are multitasking like a rock star. Tell us a little bit about Archer and what he loves. Archer loves books. He is obsessed with books. I mean, typically, so he goes in phases where he'll find one book that he'll fixate on. His first book that he ever really loved and had to have with him 24-7 was Madeline. Uh, And I always laughed about it because it's like the end of it, she ends up in the hospital. And the mother mother sits up and she goes, something is not right. Miss Covell, put on the light. And I was like, yeah, you would love this kid because this is your life. Mom is on the light and something is not right. So we we read that. And then he... um, he also now he loves Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. That's his fave. We actually read it to him while he was getting attached to the EEG yesterday, and he he loved it. And um, he's like a breakfast food aficionado. He puts Ron Swanson to shame. He loves bacon and sausage, and it's been a little bit hard because he has stomach paralysis, so he hasn't really been able to eat anything by mouth since January. But like, I'll still give him like licks of sausage and bacon and eggs. And I was gonna say his day. Benji's a big fan of licking bacon. Yes. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So any, anytime he can get that some kind of breakfast food in a book, like ideal morning for sure. And he loves his older brother who's five. He's a little bit overwhelmed by him because my, my five-year-old identifies as a dinosaur. So roars all the time and it gets <laughs> in his face and roars and they play and, you know, but no, and he's, he is on the move. He's crawling. He's sitting up independently. He's pulling the stand, which was something that theoretically was never supposed to happen. And so he's kind of into the point where he's getting into things, which is like, wow, that's so weird that I'm so happy about this. But it's, right. It's in I got in an argument with Benji last week about, I don't even remember. It was something like he wanted more. And I said, no, we're all done. That's the premise of all of our arguments. Yes. But because all he can say is more and all done. On the, on the, uh, on the communication device or does he say it? No, he, he can verbally That's say awesome. more and all done. That's And so, yeah. Really? I mean, that's all any of us truly need to say in life. I know that's we so can get awesome. by with that. Yes. I, I always think it's interesting because Lorelai, she could say mama, dada and yeah. lay down because we yelled at the border collie all the that's time. So, so like mama, dada and lay down. Yeah. But Benji, he has decided to use functional words. He can do mama and dada also, but he can do more and all done. That's crazy. And I got into an argument with him and I'm like giddy over this argument because like, right. Like, I mean, it's, it's like you get to a stoplight and you can't go because there's traffic and he's yelling in the backseat, more, more. more." And I'm like, honey, we can't, (laughs) we can't give me a minute. Um, So it's things like that, that like, you're like, gosh, why am I excited about this? Archer has has learned to talk and kind of lost it all um, after a stroke and epilepsy. But so it's like funny because people are like, oh, my kid just won't stop yelling at me. I'm like, I can't wait to fight with Archer. I hope he's really sassy. I, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's those little things, but you're excited about them. You're so excited. Yeah. And it's, it's like that little glimmer of hope too in the midst of like, the rare and the dark and the heavy, you're like, huh, you are getting into the Tupperware cabinet at this point. Like, (laughs) I love it. So tell us a little bit, like you are 
a rare mom, a rare family. Mm -hmm. Uh, What, what does Archer, what is his condition? So Archer has two genetic conditions, both which were not caught prenatally in spite of extensive testing. So his first uh, genetic mutation that he has is called Kabuki syndrome, which I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, it's, it's rare. It's like one in 35,000 to 80,000, depending on who you talk to. So it's definitely been heard of. Um, Mm -hmm. And Kabuki um, kind of affects, it's almost like a roll of the dice genetically. It's really interesting because some kids their expression, there's two different types, but so, like the expressions of Kabuki are so different depending on each kid as far as what organs are affected. But like, yep. I, from what I understand, like Mido, it is a multi-system condition, um, but it's sometimes degenerative and sometimes not depending on which organs are affected. So for Archer, what's been affected for him is he had a coarctation when he was five days old. Um, he, his diaphragm was in the wrong place. He has kidney issues. He has hypothyroidism. Um, and now he has epilepsy. Um, he also had a stroke. Um, so it's pretty much every major organ is affected um, by mm-hmm. Kabuki syndrome. But some kids, you know, it's my, it's like mild muscle weak, mild hypotonia and learning delay. So it's then there are some kids that are born without eyes. So it's just all over the spectrum. Yeah. But they're all so strong. And I've been blessed to learn about the community and all the kids. So that's been cool. So his first, I'm his first uh, mutation we've gotten to learn about. There's more of a wealth of knowledge of Kabuki. Um, his second is something called RYR1, which I um, know you'll kind of relate to this. Uh, my husband and I are both carriers and we did not know. Mm-hmm. And our first son did not get it, but a child can only have disease-causing RYR if both parents are carriers, and we just right. happen to be carriers. So um, he has this, it's a muscle disease, and it also makes him allergic to most major forms of sedation, which we did not know when he was first having surgeries. So we didn't know that he was allergic to sedation. Um and so he can easily die. Is that why he had the stroke? Nobody knows. I, okay. I tend to think so. Geneticists, you know how they are. Geneticists and neurologists are like, probably not. No, I, there's no way to know. We don't really yeah, know. There's, it's, uh, that's why I love geneticists. More so the neurologists. Geneticists are fine with saying, I don't know. Neurologists are like, that can't happen. In my experience. <laughs> Wait till you meet the brain surgeons. Hopefully you never have to. But brain surgeons, they are a different breed i'm hoping not not to have to they're very special i'm sure (laughs) but um yeah so he he has ryr and so he's the only kid in the world with both so with kabuki there is some documentation on what can happen what systems even though it is like it is it can be anything with kabuki but they at least have some reference but for some reason his Kabuki and his RYR seem to work together in a way that is not favorable to him. Like he's okay, got, I was going to say in a good way no, or a bad a way. Bad of way. course, of course. of course. And so that might've been why he had a stroke after, after a G tube operation, he just had a massive brain bleed. And uh, it was hard for us because for three days, doctors didn't believe us. And because he had a G tube, they didn't believe because at that time he was meeting all developed milestones because he right. had very mild intellectual delay from Kabuki at that time. Um, and we didn't even know we had Kabuki. That wasn't until after the stroke that we found all of that out. You then find out that he is double rare yeah, and that he is the, like it, the two together are not working together. No. They're working against each yes. other or affecting more parts yeah. of his body. Yeah. And so as a mom or a caregiver or his dad, cause I know dad's listening right now. Yes. How did that make you guys feel? First of all, 
we have a rare diagnosis. Second of all, you're going to throw another rare diagnosis at us. Yeah. Third, they're not going to play well together. Fourth, we are carriers of part of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like if we have more kids, yeah. I mean, I know how I felt yeah. with that conversation, but talk to me about how you were feeling as all of this was happening. Oh my gosh. I think it was overwhelming. Uh, it's really, it's been great. I don't know if you experienced this in your marriage at all, but we very much teeter totter. So mm-hmm. when, when we got the genetic diagnosis, he had developed something called infantile spasms after his stroke a few months after. And we were in the midst of treatment. And that's when they were like, let's, they had tested him for deletions at birth, but it all came back normal. And they hadn't tested him for any mutations yet. So during the spasms, they said, let's test him for mutation. So we were doing this really intense treatment where he was on steroids, gaining weight. His heart was at risk. He was screaming all the time when they called and they just told us, hey, he has Kabuki syndrome. And I have researched Kabuki because they had said that they thought he might have it after he developed the spasms. But the ROIR just threw us for a loop. Finding out that there was another challenge because Kabuki seemed like it was going to be challenging enough from judging from the first six months of his life full of surgeries and strokes and heartache. And then to find out that we're carriers, you feel a weird sense of guilt, even though... uh, you didn't do any, you didn't design your, your genes, you know, you didn't do, you feel like a weird sense of guilt. And then you also just look at your spouse and your love. You're like, what are the odds? And I don't know about you, but I had this, I guess this is kind of not necessarily guilt, but maybe selfishness. I was grateful that we both, Yeah, it took both me and Mike, because like, how would I have felt if he gave this gene or how would he have felt if it was mother you know, it wasn't mother's fault because like you said, we don't pick how we design our children's genes. But for me, it was comforting that it was from both of us. Yeah. uh, It actually was now that you mentioned it. It like made it it even more rare. Like it's not that my kids have just a rare disease, but it took two incredibly rare human beings with a rare gene to make this. Exactly. Exactly. And I, so like I said, it's a teeter-totter in marriage and I was okay because I was bracing myself for a genetic and my, my husband, he had to wrestle with that a lot. And he was just really angry that when you find out it's genetic, that means lifelong. That means it's a part of them. That means it's not like, Oh, you're going to reach this. You're going to find the right treatment and it's going to go away. No, he's going to be in and out of hospitals struggling physically for his whole life. And that means that you will be caring for him for his whole life in a unique way. And when you first get hit with that, and then it's like, it was like a young genetics resident calling and telling us. And we're like, is there a social worker we can talk to? Is there any, (laughs) is there anybody? Because you're just leaving us. We haven't slept in days because our son is on this treatment. She's like, there's a Facebook group for Kabuki. And we're like, (laughs) which actually is an amazing resource. And it's been fantastic. But at the time you're like, seriously, you're referring like, to this is all you're going right to give now? me right now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so my, mm-hmm. so he was just really, really angry at first. He really struggled. So when he's angry, are you calm? Yeah. Yeah. That's a teeter totter is I usually get calm. And when I freak out, typically he is calm and he anchors me and helps me to just breathe through things. So we are a great team in that way, but it hit him the hardest. So in all of this, Archer is the only one who has both of these. And before we got on air, you were talking about how it just feels like a foreign language sometimes. 
and you're now two years in and I'm six plus years in and it still feels like a foreign language sometimes, Mm -hmm. whether that means you're at the hospital or home or talking to friends or even just connecting with friends. Like forget the conversation. The conversation is a stretch, but sometimes connecting, it's like we are from two different cultures. Yeah, it is. How did you feel like when you transitioned from hospital life to home life and having, you know, all of this rare swirling, were you able to find people or how, what did you do? So my, so it was all really complicated because he was born March 8th, 2020 at the height of the pandemic. So uh, literally we went in, nobody was wearing masks, nothing bad was going on. They were like, have you been to China? No. And that was the extent of what we knew about COVID. And then you know, he had his open heart surgery. He, you know, three and a half weeks later we left and it was a different world. Mm-hmm. It was a complete, I mean, and while we were there, you know, there were all like these rules, literally figuratively, yeah. everything was a different world for you. So yes. Although I, I think if there hadn't been COVID in the mix and we had left, things were just weird for everyone. And I hate mm-hmm. that they were weird for everyone. Like I don't, I'm, I wish COVID hadn't happened, but at the same time it was, everybody was trying to navigate this new world and this new landscape of rare. Yeah. What was tricky for us as far as building community was, so my husband was a pastor and because we didn't make a lot of money because we went into ministry, I was a stay at home mom with my son and I planned on staying home with both of my kids until they were, you know, three. And then I was going to go back to work. Um, Mm -hmm. And we had a little house and life was kind of common. We had this great community, like my older son grew up enveloped in this loving community of people that just adored him. And he always had people to play with and places to go. And it really was a village um, at the church that my husband worked. But my husband pretty quickly realized as he was processing Archer genetic disease and wrestling with God and struggling and just feeling so overwhelmed, he was like, I cannot be the dad I want to be and do this particular line of work because ministry, you take it home with you. It's 24 seven. There's a lot of demands and you're giving a lot of yourself. Oh yeah. It's a lot of social stress and there's just not, there's not good boundaries written into most pastoral roles. There's just not. Mm -hmm. And in his particular case, there were not good boundaries. And so he just realized like, I can't do this. And he also realized like financially, even if we get a lot of Archer's medical stuff covered, we want to do alternative therapies. We want to, we want to really be invested. We want to be able to afford care for him. You know, there's just, there's a financial reality when you're looking down the pike of a lifetime uh, that you don't necessarily think about before there were, you know, having a kid is always expensive, but like we were going to be fine. But after having him, he was like, you know, I just, I can't do this. And I was having such severe postpartum depression at that point. I almost lost my life to postpartum depression after he was born, not being able to nurse him. I was told if I nursed him, he would choke. And then it was during COVID. So they thought it would be helpful to tell me, and you don't want him in the ICU right now because then he'll get COVID and then he's definitely going to die. And so as a new mom, you're just like, and I just, I didn't, I couldn't nurse him. He was in a lot of pain. It was just really hard. And so Jesse just wanted to be there. So we talked about it. And then I tried and I was going to continue the plan of staying home. But then after he had a stroke unexpectedly, once he did get his NG out and his G tube in and he had the stroke and doctors didn't believe me for, I was alone when I got the diagnosis after begging them for three days to get imaging. And they wouldn't, they were like, I'm sorry. Basically they just thought, Oh, he's just not neurotypical. Even though he had lost all of his, he was talking, he was starting to sit up. He was so made so much eye contact. He was just so 
um, just different. And he came out, he couldn't even cry. He wasn't making noise. His eyes were rotating. I mean, it was horrifying. And they were like, he's fine. Don't worry about it. Just, they tried to send me home. Finally, I freaked out after three days. And I was like, you're going to get the effing anesthesiologist in here right now. And so they got, you know, and that worked and they got him in here and they said he had a massive brain bleed and he might die. And I was alone dealing with that. And eventually Jesse was able to come, but it was hard because we were also balancing in the year and two after COVID. You probably, I don't know if you had this one parent only. Yeah. So you yeah. you don't get to tag out. And, and I, you have your son at my home too. Oh yeah, Jack. But, yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, and he was used to having me all to himself. And when you have a second baby, you're always scared. Oh, this relationship's going to change. Oh yeah. And uh, anyway, no matter what, but with him, it was very mommy's gone for weeks at a time. Mommy's crying all the time. You know, it was just so different than what he was used to. So you have to balance that. And so after the stroke, you know, I also have a degree in ministry. So I looked at him and I was like, I will just go to work. And can you stay home for a while? Because the level of care Archer was requiring, what people don't understand about being a medical mom, and some people adapt to it really well. A lot of women do. And I felt guilt for a long time that I didn't adapt to it. But I have horrible fine motor skills. I just do. I drop everything. I'm clumsy. I'm klutzy. I, you know, I'm not type A. I don't color coat things. Like I've gotten better over time, but like I just, you mean you don't have a color coded binder? I don't. I I know you probably do. My husband does. He is very type A. He's very type A and he has great fine motor skills and he stays so calm in a crisis. I just, when it's my baby, I can't stay calm in a crisis, but when it's my child in pain, I just don't do well. I quit. And I think that's okay that you see that in yourself. Yeah. And again, teeter totter, he can balance you out when you need it. And exactly in y'all's case, it works best right now for you to be working out of the house so that he can be home. And color coordinating things. Exactly, exactly. And, so, <laughs> and he absolutely has fallen. And he actually, I became just apathetic and just like, okay, I guess we have to function. But he fell in love with the hospital. He fell in love with like nurses, the medical equipment, learning how to do things. He was fascinated by it. And I was just hurting. He was just absolutely fat, which was such a like mercy of God. He was just, he just thrived in that medical setting. And I just, especially with the PTSD after the stroke, I just struggled to even walk into a hospital after what I saw and having to advocate and feeling like I wasn't believed. It just, it was so hard. And so anyway, I got a job at a, at a church in Indiana, which is where I'm from. We lived in Michigan when Archer was born. We had been there for five or six years. That's where our village was. So we moved to Indiana, which is where my parents live. I got a job there and we sold our house and moved into this tiny apartment with two kids. And uh, we were just like, okay. So I went, to, I tried to work full time for a year and a half. I loved parts of it. Um, and that's actually when I discovered the pod because I was sitting in my office. After I got my job, the first two weeks of my job, he developed infantile spasms. Then he developed epilepsy. Then they told us that he, they thought he was deaf and blind. He's not. So we were getting a new diagnosis when I was starting this new job about every two weeks. You almost, for me, you get to that point where you're like, okay, I can do this. And then something else comes. Oh, yeah. And then something else comes. And you constantly are just one step at a time. And I always tell new moms, one step at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. But after, you know, that one day, you're like, okay, I made it through that one day. Let me, let me get comfortable today. And then the next day, everything changes again. Oh, yeah. 
it's a feeling of constant anxiety it is. and it is it's it's a lot it's crippling and it's I, crippling cuz you start to adjust yourself to one reality and then it shifts and then there's a new reality and you have to talking about that foreign language thing i would go to work and my coworkers were just incredible people all of them but you know none of them had critically sick kids and uh especially when they thought he was blind and deaf i got the news that he and not, that not only did they think he was blind and deaf, they thought he was neurologically blind and deaf. So that there was no treatment, no hearing aids could help, nothing could help. So I have a currency of as long as I can connect with him in some way, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. As long as I know he's in there, as long as I know he can enjoy life, I will yeah. go over any hurdles. I can be okay. But when he was just lying there and didn't seem to see me, didn't seem to hear me, um, and it was because of a me- bad medication reaction due to his RYR that we found mm-hmm. out later. Um, it was just too hard. So I would try to explain to other people how I was feeling. And just like, you know, I was immersed in this language of of medical jargon and of trauma and of all this stuff. And it's your, it was my life. And I was trying to explain it to people. And they just kind of look at you either with pity or like you have horns growing out of your head. Or, you know, they try to understand. They try to they try to learn alongside you. But I just felt so alone because I had just moved. All my friends were back in Michigan. It's a pandemic. It's a pandemic. You're postpartum. Yeah. I mean, you had a lot going on. <laughs> and so I ended up after a year, I and my oldest son was really acting out a lot and struggling, which, I mean, duh. Like, of course mm. he was. I don't blame him at all. And he was upset because he wasn't seeing me very much, even though his dad is his favorite human. He missed me. And the day that I decided to resign from my job to find part-time work, he just hugged me and he said, Oh mommy, I'm so glad I don't want you to go anymore. And it was just like, okay, I won't, you know? And, um, my husband, thankfully I was able to go down to part-time because Jesse is Archer's home health aide now. So our state allows that. So he got, and Diana, thank God, allows that. So he got certified in home health aid, and he's actually starting nursing school at the end of the month to become Archer's nurse. Okay. Yeah, so he's doing that. And so I'm able to work full-time, and we're, I mean, not making a lot by any means, but we're making enough. And my currency is just peace and knowing that both of my kids are getting what they need. And if that looks different from how, you know, with Jesse being the stay-at-home parent and being the medical dad and being the nurse and me being the one who leaves the house and, you know, comes back, that's okay. I think that's okay. I think, you know, looking at your situation, it seems to be benefiting all four of you. Mm -hmm. And it'd be totally different if you were like, I don't want to do this. Dad, you take it. Dad's You know, like, it would be different if you were just like, I'm out. But you should feel no guilt because you're doing what is best for your family right now. Yourself included. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all heavy. It's all very, very heavy. And I, I wanted to circle back to when we were talking about the, the foreign language of being a medical rare family. Yeah. You know, it's not just, as you were speaking, I realized it's not just the language itself. It's not just G-tube and yeah. Nissen and medications yes. and syringes. It's the trauma too. Mm-hmm. Like the trauma is part of this language or this culture that we are in. And I don't think there is a way to explain this amount of trauma and anxiety to people. And so like, I often think, you know, when (laughs) I'm sitting here sipping my Starbucks as we talk and I was going through the drive-thru and the girl's like, Hey, how are you today? And I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Like, 
Do you think she really wants to know how I actually am? No. And there's no way to A, explain that, B, unload that yeah. on her. It's not fair. Like, yeah. To do that to She'd her. be blindsided if yeah. I actually told her. Well, and I'm the type of person, I'm so open that I, I'll be like, oh, yeah, my son just had a stroke. He's bleeding from his brain. How are you? You know, I would do that. Like, or, oh, he just had yet another seizure. And I've learned quickly, mm-hmm. like, that's not... There's a better way to process. It it might be okay for you in the moment, but it's also not for them. I struggle because I wish I could be more like that. I'm only like that when I'm super sassy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no. Somebody said something, and I was like, yeah, no. I mean, I'm here because I have a dead kid or something. Yeah. I don't remember what it was, but they shut right up. I bet they did. Um, you know, it's a matter of I'm a people pleaser too, and I don't want to make other people incredibly yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. So, like, it's it's managing your own trauma and anxiety, and then still trying to feel like you can fit in with your friends or your coworkers or whatever it may be. Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, people like you and I can sit down and have coffee the first time, and we're gonna click because exactly. we know the language, we mm-hmm. know this culture. But it's very different when you are trying to connect with people, yeah, outside. And so when my husband and I were just out of college, when we moved and he started pastoring and we were in this amazing community and I was just, I'm like a huge goofball extrovert. Like if you don't know me very well, it can seem as if I take nothing seriously because I'm such a goof. And, um, so that's a nice way to put it. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I was very lighthearted. I love talking to people. I'll approach anyone. Um, and people just knew who I was. And I also, there's something beautiful about, like I was able to get to know so many people and I had such reciprocal friendships and I was able to care for people and bring them meals and just really be there for people in a way that's so important to me. So I had these super deep, super reciprocal friendships. And when we moved and I started this new job, nobody knew me for me outside of my need and my tragic family. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like you, sometimes it feels like you have one or two options to hide how you really feel and how you're really doing and act as if everything's normal. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, to just like we were talking about earlier, just overflow and completely overwhelm other people who really don't have the tool sometimes. And it's not their place to have to process all of that with you. Not every single person can do that. And it was really funny because I was talking to one of my coworkers who she truly became name is Holly and she had lost it's a different situation she doesn't compare them but she lost her mom over a period of 20 years to a degenerative disease and so she knew what it was like to be at the end of yourself and to just kind of expect you know people to expect you to still function normally and to act normal and to just feel like you're faking all of the time so she'd be like do you need to dump your bucket and I always loved how she would put that do you need to dump your bucket and so I would talk to her but when I resigned she came and talked to me and she was so loving but she's like sometimes I just wonder what you would be like outside of all of this trauma, like what it would have been like to know you before this. And she wasn't saying that she doesn't need to know me right. after this, but it, it right. made me realize I was like, yeah, I don't know. And it's so weird making yeah. relationships when we look like a quote unquote, there's no such thing as this, but a quote unquote normal family with this cute little two year old and pastor's family, whatever. And like getting to know people before the trauma versus after mm-hmm. And you, it's such a different world of like being like, no, I'm still me. Archer is this amazing kid and I want people to know him. And then navigating that landscape of he also has severe immune issues. And we get, we do IVIG, you know, every week Mm -hmm. infusions. 
it's just been so different. Um, and that's why I told you, I appreciate the podcast because we were just thrust in this world and we immersed ourselves in this language of trauma and G tubes and all these things. But when we would go talk to our friends, either our friends far away in Michigan or the people we were trying to get to know in Indiana, they just, they tried so hard, but it didn't translate. And so when I was looking for resources, uh, a book, anything to make me feel better beyond just welcome to Holland, beyond, you know, going a little bit deeper. Um, I just found your podcast and I was just amazed to hear you guys talking about G2 feeding, to hear you guys talking about how overwhelming it is to be dealing with not only medical challenges and trying to keep your kid alive and their organs functioning, but all the developmental therapies. And at the time, Archer was in 26 specialties when I first heard your podcast, 26 and yeah, that's a lot of specialties. It's a lot. And he was having seven or eight therapies, which since we've, we've whittled way down, thank God. Um, and some of it we should technically still be doing, but we're just like, no, it's not benefiting him. Um, but that's I, a whole nother conversation in itself nother, too. But Jesse, a whole nother con- Jesse loved it because we were listening to one of your podcasts and you were like, yeah, you and you and Diane were talking. You're like, yeah, we just didn't bring her communication device today. Like, it was just too much. Like, sorry, kid, you're just not going to have a voice. And, like, to other people, that sounds so horrible. But to anybody who has ever juggled the sheer amount of appointments and therapies and expectation, like, mm-hmm. it's just impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. to hear somebody speaking our language and sharing in the struggle, it was just so freeing. And it was, like, better than any therapy either of us could have possibly had. Well, I will uh, be starting to take your insurance, and <laughs> I'll be charging you your copay okay, after yeah. this. Sounds good. Why not? It's worth it. I'm I'm so glad that you. I I honestly, from the marketing perspective, I have no idea how you found me through Google because I haven't done any SEO or anything like that. Yeah, and. I firmly believe it was a God thing to pass you like, Hey, here's when autumn comes. Yeah. And I'm so glad that, you know, whether it's through hearing other moms talk and just feeling some sort of connection that you can breathe a little bit lighter maybe, Yeah. but also maybe for anybody listening to, you know, now you're sharing your story here and you will probably be in and out of a hospital at some point and see a mom and you can know that she probably just got a diagnosis like you guys did. And there's just this like kindred bond that we all kind of, it doesn't matter how rare we are sometimes Mm -hmm. because we all go through the same emotions. Yeah, It doesn't matter if your child has Down syndrome and my child has a terminal form of Mito. Yeah. Like we as moms are still, and dads and caregivers, yeah. are still going through learning the language, learning the culture and getting to know like who we are yeah. on this side of the story. Yeah. To be in that place of, I, I've greatly struggled with who am I now? Yeah. Like I've struggled with if I make a new friend today, and they didn't listen to my podcast for the last year and a half, if I make a new friend today, they're only going to know me as a mom of Benji. Benji. Yeah. You know, in your case, mm-hmm. if you make new friends when you move, they're going to know you as a medical mom, a yeah. special needs mom. Like they're going to, they're not going to know you as who you were before. Yeah. And for me, that's really hard. Like I'm super proud of 
where I'm at. I'm super proud of my family and our beautiful chaos. But I also like want people to think like, and myself too. Sorry, I'm rambling at this point, but it's my show. Um, (laughs) But no, you know, like when you see someone in a store, you don't know what they're going through. And they may look like that perfect little pastor's family. Yeah. And you don't know. We don't know what's going on. No. And everybody is, has stuff. It's so funny that you say that because there have been so many moments for me where I'm like, why? Like we were talking about with your loss of Lorelai and Benji and God, why did you give me these two kiddos? And mm-hmm. um, I feel like that sometimes, like I just feel sometimes like I'm living some, someone else's life. And I'm not saying that because I have the most wonderful husband in the world. He is my best friend. I love our kids. I see purpose in it. Archer is amazing. Like I would rather spend all of my days in a hospital with him than be on a, you know, tropical Island without him. And that's something that only medical moms get, you know? Yeah. No, I, I 150% (laughs) considering I was on a tropical Island last week. (laughs) I was on a tropical Island last week and I would have traded it for five minutes in a hospital with Laurel. Exactly. And people look at you and they only see what you quote unquote don't have because of your child. But you like, you don't understand like this child has given me everything. And I love them even though it's hard. But it also goes back to that together at the same time without blending the two because exactly. these children have given us everything, but they've also taken everything. It's so true. It's so true. Yes, they do. I mean, my kids completely changed not just who I am as a person, but what I do, where, I mean, they've given and they've taken everything. And I had this vision because my son, my oldest is so creative and so out of the box and so tender. And I was like, I'm going to homeschool him, which is now that I know him better, like now that two years later after being, you know, making that decision when I was pregnant with Archer, it's so funny because he's so social. He would just be done with it in five minutes and we would butt heads (laughs) constantly. And that was not the road that I was meant to go on. Right. But I was going to do that. I have other friends who are like homeschooling their kids or who have this certain lifestyle. And I'm just like, wow, that is what I thought I was going to have. And Sometimes I get a little bit bitter about that. I get a little weird because it's like... And that's okay. We all do. Because now I get to see Jack for, you know, two hours a day where I used to spend the whole day with him. And I love Archer, but I miss Jack. And that's a whole other episode that I know you guys have already touched on that, (laughs) what it's like. So I just wonder why, God? Why? Why this? Why does he have to suffer like this? Why do we have to suffer like this? So it was really crazy because... And now, you know, I'm not even working full time in the field that I thought I was going to be. And I had this great job that, Mm -hmm. you know, was you know, with great people that I felt fulfilled it, but it wasn't right for my family. So now I'm working at 30 years old, part time in fresh time in the natural living section, panning out vitamins in Indiana. And I never, no offense to the Hoosiers out there, but I never wanted to live in Indiana. My husband and I lived in Chicago, DC, Michigan. There was no way I was ever (laughs) going to live in Indiana again, where I grew up. Like it took me 18 years to get out of there. So now I'm back in a supermarket and I'm like, why this just feels why, why? Mm -hmm. And Yes. And it was a really hard day on Wednesday because we were about to leave to come here and I wasn't going to see Jack for five days and I miss him. And he doesn't necessarily, he understands sometimes why, but it's still hard for him to comprehend. And I said goodbye to him in the cafeteria. I went to have lunch with him because I was going to have to be gone for bedtime because I was working. I was just crying. And I was like, I hate the feeling of having to choose between my kids. This is the worst. I hate this. What's best for Archer is the, is not best for Jack. And so I was leaving and that night I was, I started my shift and I was just mopey, 
was just mopey and miserable, you know, a little bit. And uh, other people probably couldn't see that who I was working with, but inside I felt that. And so I saw this lady, this lady, probably a little bit older than me, standing in the middle of the supplement aisle holding two different probiotics. And one of them is one I use for Archer. And I went over to her and I was, she was like, oh, this is so expensive. And she just started talking to me and because we had just, we had just stopped with a sale. So it was just sucky timing. Like the day before 40% off, she's like, I've been trying to get out, but I just have a hard time getting out of the house. And the way she was talking, I was like, oh, I, I think I might know her lifestyle. Sounds a little familiar. And she was just like, you know, my son, my, my youngest son has special needs. She's like, he has a trach, he has CP, he, he's just so sick. It's just hard for me to get out of the house. She's like, and this probiotic is the only thing that helps with his pain. And she's like, and I need it. She's like, but my other kids, my two oldest kids have just started school. And she's like, and I, I don't have enough money to buy the vitamins that they need for school. And she was like crying a little bit in the, she was like, and I just, I don't have anything left for them. And I hate it. And I love my son so much. And I know God didn't make a mistake in giving me this kid. And I'm just standing there like. She's dumping her bucket. She's dumping her bucket. Like Holly, let me dump her. She's dumping her bucket. And I just said to her, cause you know, we've been given so much from so many, as I know you understand as much as we pour out, there are others, even though they can't speak the language who really do see it and try to pour back into us. So I just said, can I please buy you the supplements? Cause I have an employee discount and I was just, let's just let me get them. If you can help somebody else in the same struggle, feel any bit lighter in that moment, that's to me, that's the why comforting others the way that God has comforted us when we feel like it's impossible. So I bought them for her and we just talked and we were hugging and it was just amazing. And it wasn't even about who got what for who, because honestly, she just made me feel so less so alone because I just felt like seeing all my friends, perfect back to school, Facebook and Instagram posts of all their healthy children. And, you know, they get to be with all their kids, you know, at once I was just like yeah. feeling all bitter, but to have another mom who was feeling that pull. Yeah. And to just be present with her in that, it was just such a gift. And ironically, like somebody had seen, because obviously like financially, you know, we sold our house. Like thankfully a lot of his stuff is covered because he's on the, you know, aged and disabled waiver because of how severe everything is. But all of his extras, like if we want to buy him better equipment or things like that's not covered. And so financially, sometimes it is a little bit rough. So there's a part of me that's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that after I did it, even though I knew I was supposed to do that. And one of my coworkers had seen what happened and like, I let, I leave and like my locker is just full of like groceries and snacks for us for when we're at the hospital. That's amazing. And I was just like, because so people, it's not only like that moment of connection, Sue's like, it's not only you connecting with moms like me, even moms you have never met and helping them, but like other people who aren't special needs parents Mm -hmm. also see that connection and it moves them to be generous. It moves them to think Mm -hmm. because another thing that I've struggled with is like, I'm only two years into this, but I see so many moms who have gone through losing their precious ones even more than me. And they're like, get up in the morning and they just grind and they are advocating and they are changing the world like you are. And I just think I can't even get out of bed. And I know you have your days where you can't get out of bed. I'm sure you do. But it's like, I just feel like I need to be doing legislative change. I need to be advocating. I need to be starting a nonprofit. No, and- <laughs> you need you need to be loving your kid yeah. and loving your family. And exactly. that always comes first. Exactly. And, you know, change starts at home. Yeah. And I, sometimes I worry that, like, people people think that I'm – 
hopping out of bed. I'm <laughs> not brushing my hair. I'm just hopping right up. And I'm like, yay, Mito. Yes. Um, but that's not the case. Yeah. And even if it was, mm-hmm. that would be my coping mechanism. Yeah. Like even, you know, and I think there was, it might've been Mary's episode that we had where she said, there's like two types of medical moms, the yeah. ones that are like working out frantically at the gym yeah. because that's their coping mechanism yeah. are the ones that are eating all the pie. And I feel like Diane and I are a perfect example of the two types yes. because it's just, we find our thing yeah. and your story of meeting that lady, it just shows that there's this like sisterhood yeah. amongst us and this bond that the bond of kindness. Yeah. It sounds so cheesy, but doesn't it? But like, true. yeah, I think suffering is meant to soften us towards others. Mm-hmm. I think it can harden you at times, but truly. And so, yeah, no, I think it is that bond of kindness for sure. Well, on that note, it sounds like a really great place to ask you the question. Olivia, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Oh my gosh, that's such a great... Um, you knew it was coming. I Don't knew, act I surprised. Knew, I know. You ask at the end of every single episode to every single mom, and every time I think about it, I'm just like, wow. Um, oh my gosh. I think what gives me hope right now is just how... Just the beautiful little moments in between all the heartache. Um, One thing I didn't share is that I grew up with a dad who had severe epilepsy. So it was always my worst nightmare for my child. I never wanted to see my children have a seizure. And I said, God, like, this is the one thing. Like, I, I avoided certain vaccines, certain medications. I was doing everything I could to try to keep my babies from ever having to experience a seizure. Um, Because I had seen how, how hard it had been on my dad in his life. Um, and I think, so literally, I mean, specifically my worst nightmare has happened to me. Like before I was even married, if you had met me and someone had literally asked you what's your worst nightmare, I'd be like that I would have a child and that they would have epilepsy and that they would have to suffer through it. Because you've seen, because I've seen what it can do. Um, but so I think what gives me hope is seeing that my worst nightmare has happened and like, I am still, I still have so many moments of joy that Jesus gives me every day. And I still, even through watching my child having a seizure, like I still have the strength to wake up. And I think meeting other moms who have lost their children, who are living their worst nightmares. And like somehow God is still giving them the strength to, to love others and to keep moving through that nightmare. That gives me hope. That whether that means that they're making advocating like the founder of all things Kabuki, Renee, she's incredible. She is doing so much for kids with Kabuki like Archer, like seeing all that she does, but even seeing the mom that is so bogged down with depression, who has a little victory after they lose their child with Kabuki of just getting out of bed and keep going. Like the stories of other moms living their nightmares, but still loving God and loving their neighbor as themselves. Like that, that gives me hope. And, and living their nightmares, but also living the beauty. Too. Exactly. Exactly. Cause there is so much beauty that you don't see when you're just like, if someone had just told you the bullet points of the last, you know, eight years of your life, mm-hmm. you would have been like, there's no way that that's, there's going to be any good in that, but there's so much. There's just the smiles of our kiddos. And there's so much good that you couldn't 
if you weren't in this life, you yeah. couldn't embrace or understand exactly the amount of good. Yes. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was so wonderful to not only hear you, but talk to you. Yeah, no, exactly. That's totally surreal, right? It is. <laughs> I hope you guys love Olivia as much as I do because I'm going to have her back with her husband, Jesse. And I think that that would be such a cool episode to kind of talk to both of them at the same time. Olivia, you are doing such a good job and keep shining your bright light and loving your family and loving your community the way you are. Thank you for being here. And y'all are all welcome to join us in the When Autumn Comes Society. It's a place where we can chat about episodes, talk about Amazon purchases, anything that really floats our boat. I actually asked this week about what I should wear for an upcoming event that, yeah, I, y'all come help, help dress me, help figure out what I should wear because I don't know. Stay hopeful and I will see you on Friday at 4am. Bye guys.